I am King David. Ah, uh, just kidding. <laughs> My voice isn't really like that. It's a little higher than that is because honestly, I was the runt of the litter when I was selected to become king. So uh, my voice isn't quite as deep as my brother's voices. And actually, I'm just kind of smaller than they were too. And it's absolutely amazing that I've been able to do some of the battles and stuff that I've been able to do. And I guess it's because I'm a little smaller than everybody else in the battlefield. But that's a story for uh, another time. The reason I'm here today as King David is, is King David, that's my name by the way, um, is, is because um, I heard that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was here this week. And and uh, another guy named Darius. I really don't know who they are. They must be some kings in the future, but I figured, hey, if those biblical kings are, are coming out, I might as well too. Uh, the second reason I'm here today is because I know that you have been studying one of my favorite psalms of all time, Psalm 68. In fact, it was written by a great friend of mine, Nathan, who is a prophet. And the reason that the language is so different there is because the language is actually prophetical. And he wrote this kind of, like, kind of while we were younger. And, and it was, it's just always been one of my favorite, favorite, favorite song, uh, songs. In fact, Nathan um, took, borrowed actually, from the song of Deborah uh, in Judges, if you've ever read, read through that. Story. It was Judge, it was Deborah and Barak, and then she sang this song that's absolutely beautiful too. And so he took a couple of verses out of there and he put together this Psalm 68, and I have really, really liked it. So this Psalm 68 is has has prophecy in it, and it talks about the coming Messiah, actually, um, a, a, a king that is going to come from my bloodline, which I think is absolutely incredible. It, it's an honor for for me to have that um, prospect in my life. I, I don't know why God chose me specifically for that bloodline, but he did, and, and I'm pretty thankful for that. So it's so this psalm is prophetical, but also it has some like now stuff to it. Like the way the way this prophet Nathan put it together, he has the future and then he has something for us today. And then he has the future and then he then he has something for us today. The reason I chose to use this psalm at a particular moment in history, the ark going into Jerusalem, I know you know that because y'all listen really carefully to all the sermons. Um, I, the reason I decided to use that is because it outlines the procession that the King of Kings is going to have one day when he comes and rules the earth. And so it outlines that whole procession from start to finish, and it is really, really absolutely incredible. And so um, the first time uh, we decided to move the ark, it didn't go too well. In fact, a guy lost his life, and so we kind of took a couple steps back, hit the scriptures a little bit, tried to find how to move the ark correctly and all that kind of stuff. And as we were doing that, we ran across, I remembered actually, this Psalm 68, and I thought, yeah, the procession that is in the last part of that, that, that psalm, I want to do that like as an enactment of the future king coming in. And so that's what we did. We, we, we set it up to do this procession of the ark coming in as kind of a type or like a, or an enactment of the future king, uh, the Messiah coming into the city and reigning in Jerusalem. So I just want to read the last half of, of that psalm to you this morning just to kind of give you a feel for what I saw when, when I chose that psalm to be, to be sung and celebrated as the ark came into Jerusalem. So, so here's the first couple of verses. Oh, it's right there. Wow. Um, I, I know Hebrew, but um, I also know English. So, it says this. They have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers went on and the musicians after them in the midst of the maidens beaten tambourines. Bless God in the congregations, even the Lord, you who are of the fountain of Israel. There's Benjamin the youngest, ruling them, the princes of Judah in their throng, and the princes of Zebulun and the princes of Naphtali. So here, I did exactly that. When we were coming into the Jerusalem, I had the singers at the very beginning. I had the musicians right after them. And then I had um, maidens beating tambourines to the beat. And it was just a very exciting time. In fact, I danced. Um, one of my wives didn't like that too much. But that's a story for another time. 
Um, but nonetheless, I was dancing, and it was it was just just a lot a lot of fun. Now, this last little piece here that that's talked about, and it's kind of it, this is all a prophecy. There is Benjamin, the youngest ruling them, and the princes of Judah in their throng, and then you have Zebulun and Naphtali. I'm not really a hundred percent sure what that means in the future, but what I know is I put the tribe of Benjamin first. Because that's where God chose his first king. It's where Saul came from. And then I put Judah second because that's where he chose the king, where the king of kings and lord of lords would come from. And that's the tribe I was chosen out of. And then I put them in chronological order all the way to the end to where you have Zubalin and the princes of uh, Naphtali. I put them at the very end. Now that's kind of weird. In my day and age, um, Zebulun and Naphtali, they, they're kind of on the edges of the promised land. That's where they settled. And, and so Judah and, and Benjamin are on kind of this end. So it kind of encompasses the whole area. But I have a feeling, because this is prophetical, this has something to do with the Messiah coming. And each one of these regions, somewhere in the future, is going to play a role in his coming. And he's going to do something in those regions that are very, very exciting. But nobody really knows what that is. And honestly, right now, that's just a theory of mine. So that's, that's kind of the future. Now, this is the verse or that we sing that we know um, applies to us now. And this is how this goes. Your God has commanded your strength. Show yourself strong, O oh God, who have acted on our behalf. This is a challenge for me, and it should be a challenge for you in whatever century this is. And so I tried to do exactly as God commanded in my life and do the things that he wanted me to do during that time period. So that's, that's the now. Then the song goes back into this future state, telling the future, a prophetical, if you will. And it says this. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring gifts to you. This is in the future. Kings are not bringing us gifts at this moment when we're bringing the ark in. In fact, that never happened really in my lifetime. People bringing gifts. Rebuke the beasts and the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples, trampling underfoot the pieces of silver. He has scattered the peoples who delight in war. Now to us, that means that he's totally going to have a total victory over the enemies that are against Israel and against his kingdom. And then envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. This is, this is the nations actually worshiping God and raising their hands to God. This has not happened. I have not seen this happen. It's a struggle to get my own country to reach out their hands to God. Much less everybody else, but somewhere in the future when the Messiah comes, all the enemies will be totally defeated and everybody will raise their hands to God. I am looking forward to that. That, that is absolutely amazing. It warms my heart. And then Nathan, at the very end of this song, goes back to the now. And this is what he says. It's a challenge for everybody. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. Salem. Then there's dancing type of music. You know, dancing. And I've noticed y'all have some weird looking instruments. Like, I'm not really sure what this thing is right here. Oh. And it has, I don't know what's, I'm not really sure what that is, but this must be some type of stand so that when you sit with it, you can play it. Man, this was a kind of what it came in handy in my time. How in the world do you make music with that? Do you like just cut? I don't know. I'm going to leave that alone. What is this? It must be some type of thing to hold the strings down. Oh, it holds the strings down so you can play certain ones. Oh, and then you must have to move it to that side. Well, that's awkward. I prefer a heart myself. Anyway, 
All that. Sing praises to God. To him who rides the highest heavens, which are from ancient times, behold, he speaks forth his voice, a mighty voice, ascribes strength to God. His majesty is over Israel, and his strength is in the skies. O God, you are awesome from your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to people. Blessed be God. So if I was to leave you in this time period with anything, I would say this. Praise God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And he will come to you and give you the power that you need to make it through the challenges in, the life, in your life that you are facing today. So that said, this is King David. And I'm, I'm going to go back to my time period. I feel a lot more comfortable. And to be honest with you, I like the music a lot better. Okay, so we're on the fourth in a series that we're going through called Arise. It is in uh, Psalm chapter 68. And so what I would like you to do is turn to Psalm chapter 68. Um... We are going to read one verse. In case you're visiting, my name is Philip Rand, and the reason I'm laughing is because um, I, I ran into King David in the back, and um, it, it shocked me so much and got me so off guard that he was here today because I'm not sure how he did that. Um, I, I've, I, I left my reading glasses in my office and, and, and stuff. So I'm laughing at myself because I'm, I'm basically just trying to feel my way through where this, where this actually is. I can't see the 68. It's pretty big, but, but this, will, this will be interesting. Um, so... So here's, here's the verse. It's verse 28, because I'm not even going to try to read the rest of it. Okay? Psalm chapter 68, verse 28 says this. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Now, a couple of things. Um... There's, there's basically four, four to five-ish words in that whole, that whole verse, okay? Some are repeated, but there's basically four words in that whole verse. One is Elohim, which is used twice, which is the name of God. The next one is Ozzy. So turn to your neighbor and say Ozzy. 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 Oh, that is so funny. Are these yours? Wow, these are really reading glasses. Like the whole thing is a reading glass. Yeah, does this look good, stylish? Yeah. Look stylish? Yeah. This is, this is great. Okay, so Ozzy. Ozzy means strength. It means strength. In the sense of a stronghold. Um, so you would have a fortress. You would build a big wall around that fortress. And that would be your stronghold. So this word Ozzy means strength, stronghold. In other words, you have something up to disallow people from getting in and to show your strength and to show your power. It's a stronghold. The next word is Tosaval. So turn to your neighbor and say Tosaval. I love saying that word. Tosaval. This means to lay a charge or command is what it means. So first you have this like stronghold thing going on, this stronghold, and then you have this toshaval, which, which is this command. I command you to do this. I command you to do that. The problem in the translation that I just gave to you is the command here isn't to God. It, it is actually pointed to you and to me, to people that believe in God. So... God is commanding us to summon our stronghold and our strength and actually use it. Okay? So, so that's, that's kind of the sense of the thing. Here's the next uh, Hebrew word. It is Paul. Turn to your neighbor and say Paul. Now, 
turn to your parents and say, when I'm a grandkid, Dad, they're going to call you Paul. Paul, Paul. Paul, Paul. That's a good southern type word, right? Paul means accomplish. So, so these words here is like, it's, a, it's accomplished something. It's like I worked on something and I accomplished it. Earlier in the summer, as some of you already know, I, I with the help of friends, built a um, fire pit with a patio. I had to have some help. But we accomplished that task. We put it together and we accomplished it. We worked on it until it was done. And so these words here, this stronghold, right, and this command, and then this accomplish, all work into this verse with God. And actually, the translation that gets this right is the New American Standard. And this is how they translated it. Your God has commanded your strength. In other words, your God, your God, has commanded your strength. He has told you that you have strength, and this is where your strength needs to be shown. This is where your strength needs to go. This is what your strength needs to do. Your God has commanded your strength. Show yourself strong, O oh God. Why? Because he's commanded me to do something. And I'm going to step forward and I'm going to do it. And God, I'm asking God to show his strength as well as I do what he has told me to do. As I wield my strength, which is small compared to God's, I'm telling God, hey, oh God, I need your strength too to accomplish, complete what you have started in us. Isn't that beautiful? God, you've given me strength. You've given me something to do. God, I need your power to help me with my strength to do that. Like, I'm going to use my strength, and then you're going to use your strength, which will overwhelm my strength. And you are the one that is going to accomplish the thing that you've called me to do. It's absolutely beautiful. And this is a command. This is a command to everyone in the room that is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever strengths that you have, you are supposed to be using for the glory of Almighty God. And praying that God will come in behind you with his strength. To enhance what he's already given you to accomplish his mission. Wow. That's a pretty awesome, awesome verse. So the question comes up. <coughs> where has your power been commanded? Where, where has your power been commanded? Where has where it been commanded? You see, it is easy for me. To think, okay, Moses was commanded in the Bible to lead the children of Israel out, out of Egypt. And he had strength to do that. And he needed God's strength to bring them out of Egypt. But he was already, like, equipped to do that. So, Moses, what's your problem? Why are you asking Aaron to come and, and speak for you? Right? It's easy for me to be kind of critical of Moses. Right? When he, in that moment, in that passage, like, why are you saying you can't speak? God has called, he's commanded you to do something with your power. It is easy for me to be critical of somebody like Barack, not our president, former, but Barack in the Bible, who Deborah, the prophetess, came to him and said, hey, you need to lead this army. And Barack says these words, um, if you go with me, I'll do it. And then Deborah says, because you have said that with little faith, a woman will have a victory. And she did. And that is a woman that I would never want to meet. Because she got that king into her tent. He laid down to sleep. She got a tent peg and right through his temple. That is a dangerous woman. But but it's a power, like power. So so you you've given me this to do and the power to do. So so I think of that, and I can be very critical. Or I can think of people like I don't know. People like um, David. Oh, David was just here. Yeah, David and the ark and how he attacked Jerusalem and he, and he got Jerusalem. And then he wanted to bring the ark in and he did it with power. I can think of him and think, man, he is awesome. He was commanded to do something. He did it and God's power showed around him. It was absolutely incredible. But where have you and I been commanded with power? 
There isn't a person in this room that doesn't have the power to do exactly what God has called them to do. There isn't a person in this room that doesn't have the power. In fact, I wish this was a worship song. I got the power! Right? I wish that was a worship song. You and I as Christians don't like to talk about power very often because we're supposed to be humble and we're supposed to be gentle and we're supposed to rely on God. But when God looks at you, He says, I have given you power and you need to wield it. I have given you and, and made you in a particular way and you need to do that. I have done that for you. You need to use that power. There's nothing wrong with you and I saying, I am good at something. We are really good at saying, oh man, it's good when he says he's not good at something. But what if you can say you're good at something? What if saying you're good at something actually glorifies the Father that created you? So where have you been commanded to do something? So to unpack that a little bit, I've asked Thomas Seaford and uh, Chad Harwell, two of our elders, to come forward. And they're going to read a couple of verses out of the Bible. And then we are going to kind of unpack those a little bit. So, so come on forward. I'll make sure this mic is on. They have a few verses. Joshua 1, Joshua 1, 9. Have I not, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. John 14.27 Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I got it. 2, 4. Be strong, all you people of the land. Declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. <laughs> Second Timothy 1.7 For God gave us not the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Isaiah 35.4 Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 1 Chronicles 16, 11. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Psalm 27, 1. Of David, the Lord, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Acts 4.13 Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Psalm 27.14 Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Good verses. I think we've lived in a culture for a very long period of time where we've been pounded, be weak, be weak, be weak, be weak. And God's up in heaven looking at His people saying, be strong, be strong, be strong. Be strong. You and I have strength. We have strength that we can use for the glory of God. We need to grab a hold of it and use it. So what does that exactly look like? Well, first of all, from those verses, I'm just going to talk about them a little bit. First of all, do not fear. 
Do not fear. Do not let fear stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Do not let fear do that. Fear comes in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes fear is like, I'm really not adequate enough to do that. Though I know I can do it, I, I, I'm really afraid to do it. Sometimes fear is fear of failure. I might fail if I step out and do whatever God wants me to do and do and act within the giftedness that he has given me. I might fail. People might think of me differently, and there's a fear of that going, going on. Do not let fear hinder you from exercising your strength, the strength that God has given you to exercise. Do not let fear do that. Next, have the right attitude. If you're going to build power, if you're going to build strength, you've got to have the right attitude. You know, people that have power that have the wrong attitude stink, don't they? They stink. In Scripture, it tells us in Corinthians chapter 13 that we do nothing without love. So when we are wielding power, we are wielding the power that we have, the strength that we have, with love. It makes all the difference in the world. Love does not look down on people. Love does not envy, right? Love does not... But love enhances and makes things correct. And so when we're using our strength out of love, it's a total different feel to it than if we use it without love. Attitude is everything. When you use your strength, you have to know when to stand for the Lord. Know how to basically, maybe I should kind of rephrase that, seek the Lord so you can stand we, we have the strength, we have the strength that He's given us, and we seek the Lord as to how to use that. So we seek the Lord. There's self-control in using strength. You can't just use it and use it any way you feel like using it, and, and your emotions take you in a particular way. You have to have self-control. Like, for instance, when the Bible tells us to love, which is strength, we have to have self-control in that love. Not all love is correct. Not all love is right. But God's love, self-control with that love, is right and righteous and true. The Bible says if you're going to stand and be strong, you have to put on the full armor of God. The full armor of God. The helmet, the breastplate, the sword, the shield, the shoes, the gospel of peace. You put them all on. The coolest thing about that whole armor deal is that it's not your armor, it's God's. It's not yours. He's giving it to you. That means it doesn't fail. It will stand up against the arrows of the enemy. It will do what it's supposed to do. It will not be weak. It will always prevail. You put on the whole armor of God. The whole thing. And so... We do all of this and we have to figure out some way of wielding the power within that framework. Using the power within that framework. Um, how many of you cook? Cook? Yeah? How many of you eat cooking that people cook for you? Right. There is, there is, I, I cook. It's, it's a hobby of mine. I I like to on Friday on my day off just figure out something new to make or maybe something I've made the last couple of weeks and I'm trying to perfect it because it takes a lot of perfection stuff. Um, so a cooking, um, there is a difference between a cook and a chef. There's a difference between a cook and a chef. A cook basically takes what they already have and, and they put it to use in what they already have in their house and they just kind of put it together. A cook, a cook can take a list of directions and go through the directions and then put it in, in a pan and kind of make it up and kind of hope that it tastes good. And the way a cook does this is they, they go through many recipes until they find a recipe that actually works and they actually like and then that's the recipe that they put in their little box. Now I don't know if anybody has a little box anymore. My wife has a little box. Um, you might use some type of app or something on your phone, but they take the little, you know, and, and it's a good, good meal. That is a cook. A chef, however, is a little bit different. Now, listen, I'm not a chef, okay? 
I, I think I am on, when I'm doing my hobby, right? Come on. I mean, I think I am. I think I could have a cooking show and do the whole deal and kind of make the, mood, the food that everybody loves and helps in your mouth. But I, I know that I'm just a cook that thinks he's a chef, all right? So a chef is someone that understands ingredients. A chef is someone that uses the best of the ingredients that the area has to offer. If it's fish and it's they are on near the ocean, they go to the freshest fish place to get the freshest fish. If there's a farmer's market, they know which farmer's market has been shipped in from another country and which farmer's market is really homegrown. Just a little secret. You might not know this. In your farmer's market, there is stuff that comes from Mexico and there is stuff that comes from the area. And if you do not know the difference between the two, you are a cook. Oh, come on. That, that, is that not true? If you do not know the difference, if you do not know the difference between homegrown corn and corn that came from Florida, there's a problem. Homegrown corn has a different taste than regular corn. And it even goes all the way down to the spices that you use. There are spices that come from other places and there are spices that come from around here. And the fresh ones that come from around here that have no preservatives on them taste different than the ones that come from somewhere else with preservatives on them. It's just a different taste. A chef knows the difference. A chef knows the difference between if you used um, garlic out of a shaker or if you actually took the garlic and squeezed it to put it in your food. A chef knows the difference because the difference between a chef and a cook is ingredients. The chef has better ingredients that he or she uses than a cook normally uses. Now a cook might see a chef use some ingredient and take that, but they don't really know why it works, but they know that it does, and so they, they manage that meal all the way to the end. It's the difference between a cook and a chef. I will submit to you this morning that there are Christians that are cooks when they could be chefs. There are Christians that's living their, their Christian lives and they're living it as cooks when God is offering them the ability to live as chefs. I was submit to you this morning that God has given us the power to live as chefs in our lives rather than cooks. So that unpacks in this particular way. It has to do with ingredients. There are some people, not in this room, I don't think. If it is, I don't know. It means I don't know that this is your issue. Alright? This is what this means. There are some people, let's start with guys, that are dating a particular girl, and they're asking God to bless that relationship when that girl shouldn't be who they're dating. So basically, what they are telling God is, I want you to bless my ingredients. I want you to bless the way I want to live. And so they have this person, and they're really saying, Lord, just, just let her fall in love with me. Let us grow together. Let, let us just go. And all the while, God's saying, uh, that isn't the girl that I have for you. And then on the opposite side of that, there's girls that have this guy. They're like, I really like him. I really like him a lot. He comes over. He, he spends time with me. And God is sitting up in heaven saying, look, that is not the ingredient I have for your life. Is everybody tracking with me? And so this girl is praying that God will give him and bless this particular relationship. And God's up in heaven saying, that's not my ingredient. And I will not be held accountable for the ingredients you choose to have in your life and the results that happen as a result of the bad ingredients that you have decided to use. So what Christians often do is they have all these cooking ingredients. God's over here with these better ingredients. And Christians live with this stuff over here and make it a part of their life. And then they're like, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. But they're still using the old worldly 
type ingredients of their life, their way, their direction, what they want, and they're asking God to bless it, and God's up in heaven saying, I didn't give you any of that. That's not even your strength. That's not even what you should be doing. You need to give up on your stuff and your ingredients and come over to my world and get my ingredients and make that a part of your life. God's in heaven saying, I'm not responsible when you use the wrong ingredients. When you, as a Christian, decide to be a cook rather than a chef. It might work out like this. You know, really don't have enough money to go on that vacation, but there is Visa. And my Visa is attached to my Amazon account. And I get anywhere between 2% and 5% back. So I'm actually making money if I go in debt for this vacation. So you take the, take the little thing, you swipe, 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 swipe. And six months down the road, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't pay the power bill. I have, I have this credit card that I'm trying to pay off. And, and I have this power bill that I'm trying to pay. And, and I'm trying to pay my water bill. And oh Lord, please bless me. Please help me. And God's in heaven saying, um... Those weren't my ingredients. The vacation wasn't a need. You work to get the money to save to do the stuff is my way. I know it's really silent. <laughs> but this is the truth, guys. This is the truth. And when you do that, what you have chosen to do, instead of living in God's and in his arena, you have chosen to live over here in bondage. So you swipe, you have bondage, you have debt. It doesn't, that doesn't, shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. I'll back off the credit card thing, but credit cards really don't make, I mean, I, I have a credit card, but I always pay it off at the end of the month, and I always have the money to come in with it, because 15% for what you just purchased makes your vacation a lot more than it would have been if you had the money before you went. God has better ingredients for you than to live in that particular environment. There's other stuff. There's other stuff. There's some there's some people in in um, marriage relationships that are narcissistic. You know the one thing you can't say? You can't say this. I'm not narcissistic. Like, if I was to stand here today and say, I'm not narcissistic. Okay, nobody thinks that's I think that's funny. I'm not, I'm not narcissistic. You don't get that? Okay. I'll have a poem. So, I'm not narcissistic. Anyway, there's people that are narcissistic in their relationships. It's all, it's all, about, it's all about them. So, so let's go with the guy first. She doesn't like me. She doesn't pay attention to me. She doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. A woman over here says, oh, he always comes home. He never helps with the kids. He never helps me. He never pays attention to me. He never me. He never me. He never me. The guys, it's never me, never me, never me. And God's up in heaven saying, hey, you're cooking in your, in your relationship with your wife. You're cooking in your relationship with your husband. You need to quit cooking. Up here, the ingredients for that marriage is first of all for guys, you're supposed to die for your wife. We are supposed to love our wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. On this side of things, the wife is supposed to be concentrating on making that man the best that he can be. And I know some of you are thinking you've got a lot of work to do. I know, I know you're thinking that. But you're supposed to be making him the best that he's supposed to be. And at the same time, being respectful and submissive. That's the ingredient. It doesn't mean that, that the woman is a lesser of an individual. It doesn't mean that, that the man should be more powerful because he's smarter. In some cases, honestly, the woman's smarter than the man in a relationship. And in some cases, the man's smarter than the woman. It works both Ways You are supposed to come together and in unity become one and make each other great. Ingredients. 
ingredients. So let me give you just a couple. I know I gave you a couple of illustrations. Ephesians chapter 4. The reason I'm using it, you don't have to turn here. The reason I'm using this is because this passage connects directly to Psalm chapter 68. If you want to know how, listen to the message from last week. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that we are supposed to put on humility, gentleness, glasses, patience, and we're supposed to bear with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, but on grace. That's what we're supposed to do. I want to talk about two of them. Humility and gentleness. Because to me, when you talk about using strength, God's commanded us to use our strength, and then you throw in humility and gentleness, those things do not quite match up. Right? Because we have this view of humbleness that we're just supposed to beat ourselves up all the time. And you, you might not actually believe that on the forefront of your mind, but I've heard, I've heard a lot of people speak. Well, I'm just not good at that. I'm just not this. I'm just not that. I, I'm not willing. I try the best that I can. Okay, look. That's you trying to be humble. Come on. She's she trying to be humble. And in trying to be humble, you're making yourself, you're trying to make yourself look better than you really are. Just be straight up with you. Humble people just live their lives. They live in their strengths. They know they have weaknesses, but they live in their strengths and they go with God. They know who's given them the power. That's humility. So how does humility and gentleness go together? Well, when it goes to the story of Barak saying, oh, I just can't do it. I just can't do it unless you come with me, Deborah. The prophetess. I, I can't leave the army unless you come with me. Listen, that isn't humility and that isn't gentleness. That is wimpiness. Wimpiness. Guys, if you need your wife to be with you so you can be strong, you're a wimp. Ladies, if you need your husband to be with you so you can be strong, you're a wimp. There is a difference between support and enabling with wimpiness. Come on. There's a difference. And Barack here is, I mean, if we looked at it in today's eyes, oh, he's just being so humble and gentle. No, he's not. He's being a wimp. He's being a wimp. He was called of God to do something. That is the moment he steps out and he says, I will do it. In the back of his mind, he's thinking, I have some giftedness, but I don't know how this is going to all come about. And I don't know how I'm going to pull all this off, but I know that God is with me. And that's all I need to know. So I step forward with strength because he's chosen me to do it. And I know God is with me and he's going to take care of the rest. That is true humbleness. True humbleness is when you and I know what we're good at and we step out in faith to do that, knowing that God is behind us because he's called us to do that thing and he's going to take up the slack. That is humility. That is gentleness. When I go somewhere and I'm in that mindset, I have a different way of speaking. I have a different way of connecting. I have a different way of doing things. It's in a gentle, it's in a gentle strong humble, strong sort of attitude that I don't have when I'm over here just doing it on my own with my own or dirty ingredients. I stink over here, but God gets the glory over here. It's a mixture of the two. So gentleness and humility are almost automatic when you and I know what our strengths are. We know God has called us to do something. We step out to do that thing. He wraps his power around us, and then we begin to recognize what God is doing because we have stepped out in faith. Let me give you an example. Blake. French. There's people at this church that have stepped out in faith to give kids the gospel. They use their teaching gifts to do that. God and His powers come alongside of them. When something like this happens, it reminds us what God does. 
We do our task, God saves. We do our task, God saves. We do our task, God saves. And you recognize it when God is doing something and you have done this much, but he is the one that has actually saved and changed a lot. I don't know if you know this or not. I realize, well, I know this. A long time ago, I gave up on I give up. I give up on English. <laughs> I give up on it. I gave up on trying to change people. The first person I gave up on trying to change is Nicole Brand. Just gave up on it. There is no change in that woman. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there's no change. There's no way I can change her. There is no way I can change you. But what I can change is me. My attitude. The way I step forward. The way I, I wield, if you will, my strengths. I can change me. I can become the husband that I'm called to become in Scripture. Because God has given me that strength to do that. And when I am acting in that particular way, He comes alongside of me, side of me, and He helps me with that. And you know what happens in the family? I see God move in Nicole's life. Because when I'm acting as I'm supposed to act and stepping forward and relying on God, rather than changing her, I'm trying to be the man I'm supposed to be, it changes the woman that she is into the woman that she's supposed to be. I will also tell you this, just to be straight up and honest, because I'm always honest, we're in church. When she's being the godly woman that she's supposed to be, it affects my heart and soul when I'm not being the man that I'm supposed to be. She doesn't have to say a word. She just has to be a godly woman. And when she steps out in her strength, and when she does the same thing and God comes around her, it convinces my heart and soul that I need to be a better man. I cannot change Nicole. Nicole cannot change me. But I can be impacted by the power of God in her life. And she can be impacted by the power of God in my life if I only step forward and will the strength that God has already given me. Once I start building that strength, he comes alongside of me, side of me, and he does the rest of the work. I just have to use the right ingredients. I have to be humble. I have to be gentle. I have to be kind. I have to be loving. I have to wait upon the Lord and renew my strength. Wait. Last Sunday, you don't know this, but you're going to know it now. I walked into the building extremely irritated. It was nothing any of you had done. I was tired. I put in a long week at work. And I was irritated. And with an amazing amount of Holy Spirit self-control that I'm not sure that I was trying to be controlled with. Okay? I made it through Sunday morning preaching and on into the afternoon to where I could rest. Why was I irritated? Why was I a little bit on the edge? Why was I upset? Because I had not had a day of rest where I could wait upon God and renew my strength. Listen, in the Old Testament, God tells humankind to take a day of rest and rest. Why? Because you and I become irritable and we can't live with his ingredients when we do not take that day of rest. Thursday afternoon, about 2.30, well, 3.30. 2.30 would be a lot. So 3.30, I was off work and I did not go back to work until Saturday morning. I took time to wait upon the Lord. It renewed my spirit. I didn't even mow the yard. The yard needed mowing. There were kids that had got lost in my yard. There, there was just stuff. I mean, the grass was up, but I did not even get it. I just stayed at home. I spent time with my wife. We went out and did some stuff and came back and all that kind of stuff. And it was a restful day. And by Saturday morning, my strength was renewed and I was able to step back into the calling God has called me to do to wield the strength that He has given me to wield. And He came alongside me and did some things. There's some people in this room that needs to wait on the Lord to renew their strength. Because they're getting irritated, they're getting angry, they're getting upset, and, and they really don't want to live that way. And, and really they're going from 
Sunday to Sunday, just constantly moving, just constantly doing, just constantly going, just constantly having stress. And God wants you to stop and wait on Him and renew your strength. And there isn't, a one, there isn't one person in this room that can look at me and say, but you don't know what I have to do. You can't look at me and say that. It is difficult for me knowing everything that I need to do and all the people I need to keep up with and all my family stuff that's going on to take a break and stop and do nothing but wait on God for a whole day. It takes days. God has commanded you to use your strength. And you cannot use your strength unless you are taking a day of rest. You can't do that. So, Ephesians, we're going to wrap this up. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 says, we put off our old self. We put off our old ingredients. We quit being cooks for Jesus. And we put on our new self, our chef hat, with his ingredients. And we become righteous and holy because of him. What ingredients are you using? Psalm chapter 68, verse 28 is very clear. You have commanded my power, O Lord. God, be faithful in accomplishing the task that you have given me to do. In other words, as I use my strength, I know God that you have my back and you're going to accomplish whatever it is that you have for me to do. And I'm going to put my faith in Every other God and every other. I don't, I don't know what you're struggling with this week. I don't know if you've been, it's all about you and, and I don't know if you've been.